Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, unpack the inner workings of leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. You're listening to Marin Costello Radio. Everybody, welcome to season two. We are celebrating the launch of our second season of Marin Costello Radio with two of my favorite humans, family members, and previous guests on season one who had one of the top listened to episodes of all of our season one episodes. Please welcome my Auntie Chrissy Weiss and Uncle Dr. Eric Weiss. Yay! Yay. We're so happy to be here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. The (laughs) best encore, the best start to season two. Thank you guys so much for who you are what you do in this world and um, for being here for carving out time. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. So happy. I'm going to read a little intro to give people um, a background on you guys, but I highly recommend for those who haven't listened to the season one episode with auntie and uncle to go there immediately after you listen to this one and um, learn a little bit more about their book that they wrote together um, as well as autism and stem cells. On this episode, we will explore the truths and experiences of my aunt, Christine Weiss, on her journey navigating motherhood with a special needs child. In sharing her story, we hope to contribute to a kinder and more aware community surrounding individuals with autism and their respective families. This interview is our way of championing her unique story as a mother, a wife, and a woman. We thank you in advance for your compassion and understanding of my family's viewpoints and experiences. If this episode resonates with you, please be sure to like, share, and leave a review. Thank you so much for joining in and helping me welcome my aunt and uncle. Christine Weiss is the author of the book titled Educating Marston. Dr. Eric Weiss is the co-author and renowned surgeon who has recently incorporated umbilical cord blood stem cells into his practice after seeing the incredible healing properties in his son, Marston. Please note that this episode is also very special as we are currently in April and April is World Autism Month. Yay. I love just every second with you guys. Since our last interview, what has changed? It's been just about a year. Tell us about the book's impact on your community. Tell us about what has changed in your practice, uncle, with stem cells since, you know, a year ago when we initially talked on the radio show. Okay. Well, I think uh, a lot's happened. Um, the first thing is the book is, is starting to do well. And, 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 you know, it's always kind of a, a slow cell uh, cycle, sales cycle as you build up publicity and people start to hear about it, but more and more people are hearing about it. Uh, and especially with COVID, that kind of slowed things down from the, you know, going to bookstores and talking about it. But probably the biggest thing is, is, is I've really made the commitment to, to free up one day a week and try to help you know, kids with autism out because I've just seen some amazing things with, with umbilical cord blood and the stem cells in there where they could really impact these child's lives and, and um, you know, bring them closer to normal and, and help them function better in society. What in layman's terms is a stem cell for those who might not know? Well, stem cells are, are, are pretty cool cells. Uh, and, and I'll try to give you a quick overview without getting into the uh, too much, you know, biochemistry and, and, and all that, but you know, 99.9% of our cells in our body, they, they reproduce by dividing. So when a muscle cell divides, you get two, two muscle cells. You know, when a, a lung cells divide, you get two lung cells. Uh, when a heart cells divide, you get two heart cells. But uh, stem cells, especially adult stem cells, they were designed to replace older cells, cells that can't, uh, you know, divide anymore, cells that have been injured. So when a stem cell divides, you might get another stem cell, but you also get a heart cell. You know, you get uh, another stem cell and a muscle cell. And so that we call that asymmetric division. So they can continue the stem cell lineage, but they can also replace all sorts of cells. And there are stem cells that make blood products, there are stem cells that make muscle, fat, bone, tendon, you know, heart, blood vessels, and, and all of that. Um, when we usually talk about stem cells, a lot of people get confused about fetal stem cells and adult stem cells. And, you know, depending on the, the age of, of the audience, most people uh, don't remember that back in the 90s when, when President Bush was uh, the, the younger, the, the president, there was a big kind of uproar that 
that government funds were, were, were um, utilized for experimental research with fetal stem cells. And fetal stem cells are, are stem cells that were harvested from aborted fetuses. And obviously there's a lot of ethical and, and religious concerns about that. However, uh, adult stem cells uh, are, are in your body after you become a, an adult. And what we're talking about them is even though we get them from the umbilical cord, after about this, midway through the second trimester, the fetus is really not a fetus anymore. It's a little young adult just growing. And so the, adult, the stem cells kind of switch from being fetal stem cells to adult stem cells. Fetal stem cells are designed to make a baby. Adult stem cells are designed to, uh, to heal. That's amazing. Where are they found? Um, stem cells are found, you know, throughout your body, uh, a lot in the bone marrow because they're made, they're made there. Uh, but they're also found in the peripheral fat. They're found in muscle cells, uh, dental pulp, and actually in menstrual blood as well. But they're found in tremendous quantities in umbilical cord blood. Uh, and umbilical cord blood has kind of been the, the go-to place because they're in great numbers. It's easy to get. Uh, these are found in, in healthy babies that are born. And umbilical cords are really termed medical waste because 99 times out of 100, it's thrown away. And we have these incredible healing cells that are in there that uh, are, are essentially being wasted. And so it, it, it's amazing. And it, it's really come a long way. Um, you know, giving somebody uh, a blood product or, or another person's cell is not new. You know, blood transfusions, you know, started in the late 1800s, which is kind of the original. And then transplants started in the 1960s. And so it's not far-fetched. And there's now 80 different diseases that are treated with umbilical cord blood. You know, mostly lymphomas and leukemias of childhood, but all sorts of inherited metabolic diseases and things that you know, are so-called orphan diseases. So I wanna maybe break down the process a little bit for someone who might not know. So a baby is born and then an umbilical cord is cut. And oftentimes those, as you said, are deemed medical waste. So the alternative would be to preserve those and to use them on an adult or perhaps a child too, um, you know, depending upon what the needs are for the patient. But can you walk us through like what that process looks like? Cause I don't even think people know that what a stem cell is, two, that it's an option, three, what they can do. Right. Well, I think that every woman now who's pregnant should be approached by her OBGYN to see if she would want to bank her own umbilical cord blood. Because now if you set that up um, beforehand, you know, there'll be somebody there who can collect the blood and then bank it and save it. The problem is it can be quite expensive. It can be two to $3,000 to process it. And then there's a yearly charge to, to store it. But women can also donate it. So right when the baby comes out, it's, it's born, the umbilical cord is clamped and they put just like a little butterfly needle in the umbilical cord, just like if they were drawing blood. And then as the, the uterus continues to, to squeeze, to kind of uh, push the uh, placenta out, all that umbilical cord blood gets harvested and then it gets put in a special solution and it goes FedEx to a lab where it's processed and then um, frozen. And it's either held you know, for the mother if she banked it, or it's put into a, a public bank. And um, there's ways to kind of type those so that if somebody needs a transplant, you can do it. But the, the coolest thing I believe about umbilical cord blood is they're very, very early in formation. And so they're kind of generic cells. They lack the proteins on the outer surface that determine self. So if you get a kidney transplant, a liver transplant, or a heart transplant, everybody knows you need to be matched to the donor. Well, those cells are missing, you know, in umbilical cord blood. So you, you could really just buy them off the shelf. There's no matching that needs to be done. And you can just, you know, give them in the face of autism, in, in leukemias and lymphomas, uh, where you want them to become engraft, then you do, it's helpful to match, but not necessary. So in layman's terms, they're universal. So they can be used from anyone, for anyone, um, 
no matter what the treatment is. You mentioned Correct. earlier so, that there's, go ahead. No, the biggest thing is, is you know, you want to make sure these are the best cells possible. So there's a, a very significant uh, medical history of the mother and father. The mother, uh, you know, gives a blood sample with the umbilical blood and she gets tested for about 12 different diseases from, you know, hepatitis, AIDS to something called cytomegalovirus, Shaga, Zinka, uh, you know, COVID, you know, everything that could possibly be in there. So when, when this, you know, makes it to the lab, it's pure, it's beautiful, and it can really be used. What? And the father gets tested. And the father gets tested. What makes you think they'll work? I know you have evidence, but I think there's probably a lot of people out there, even some questions of like, well, why am I going to do all of this? What if it doesn't work? Well, there's, there's two, two things why it works. You, you know, I'm not the first person in the world to ever do this. So there's a tremendous body of knowledge um, and to you know, not to go through medical history real quick, but we're going to do it real quick. Uh, there were two researchers at Stanford who were studying the effects of aging, and they, they sewed uh, two rats together, that uh, one old, one new, that had the same genetic uh, makeup, uh, kind of made um, conjoined twins out of it. And they knew from previous experiments how the older rat healed if injured and how many liver cells that, that it made on a daily basis. And so when they sewed the two rats together, the older rat, you know, got younger. He started healing like a young rat, his liver regenerated. And so that really kicked off the question, what circulates in younger animals that gives them that property of youngness, able to withstand disease, trauma, et cetera. And this eventually came back to, to stem cells. And as they were discovering those, they found out that there were different types of stem cells that had different types of properties. At the same time, this was getting delineated. Uh, there was a big push uh, from the NIH to look at traumatic brain injuries. Uh, there's 1.7 million traumatic brain injuries in the United States every year, and obviously a lot of uh, disability and mortality from that. And uh, from looking at uh, traumatic brain injury, there's an initial injury, you know, where you're struck in the head. But there's also a secondary injury, a secondary injury caused by inflammation that many times is worse than the initial injury. And so the people studying traumatic brain injury were looking for ways to, to stop neuroinflammation. And to make a long story short, they found a type of stem cell in umbilical cord blood that could shut down brain inflammation. Wow. Now, the third leg of the stool at the same time this was happening, the incidence of autism was going up. And it went from like one in 10,000 in the 60s and 70s to today it's one in 44, you know, births and one in 27 boys. So just crazy, crazy numbers. And so an autopsy study was done uh, on, on autistic children who died of other causes. And what they found out was they had neuroinflammation, very similar to traumatic brain injury. So somebody came up with the idea, well, if it works for traumatic brain injury, it might work for autism. And that led to the, the Duke study that came out in 2019, where they took 25 uh, kids with autism, gave them their own umbilical cord blood, and 60% of them got remarkably better, remarkably better by both objective and subjective means, where there were more connections in their brains after a single dose proven by MRI that their EEGs showed more power and were more normal than, than before, as well as all the autism rating scales. So this was just a couple of years ago and it, it kicked off this, this tremendous uh, uh, increase, uh, awareness in that there might be uh, a factor that can help cure autism. And, and even, you know, not to get off, off topic, but once they found the cells that can turn off inflammation, that you know, dovetailed right into COVID. And there's plenty of, of studies now where people on ventilators with COVID and so-called cytokine storm are given a single dose of umbilical cord blood and they've gotten off the ventilator and left the hospital in four or five days, you know, just remarkable stuff.
That's amazing. I want to come back to the medical set of stem cells, but Auntie, I want to talk to you about the changes that you've seen in Marston since he started taking stem cells. So when was the first time that you guys um, chose to administer stem cells to Marston? Uh, the first time we did it was uh, when he was 21? 22, 2018, I think. 2018. And um, we went up to a doctor in Chicago who is a Dr. Thomas Loeb, and he'd been doing it, and he is a head of neurosurgery. Pediatric surgery. Yeah, pediatric at um, University of Chicago. University of Illinois, Chicago. Yeah. But previously, he was a chief of pediatric surgery at St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which is a big deal. You know, uh, that's a very famous hospital. And he had a lot of experience uh, with these cells for other diseases. Right. And he accepted Marston, um, which was amazing because he really had only been doing, um, I think, kids 18 and younger. And um, Eric talked to him and they found out they had, you know, a lot of commonalities. They had, you know, professors, professors in, common. in common and whatnot. And um, so he said, well, why don't you do uh kids older and he goes well that's just my protocol and he goes well do you think it would help Marston he goes absolutely uh, I'll bring him up here we'll you know we'll do it and um like I said in the book we we gave him to him you know we were we were nervous because you know it's a we didn't really actually even know how you gave it and so um it's just a simple IV you know and um he got his IV and the next day, you know, he was very tired. He went to bed that night and um, he woke up the next morning and um, we were going to have breakfast at the hotel. We were staying right across from his clinic. And uh, he asked me, the first question he asked me was, where did you and daddy meet? And I said, oh my God, he just lost his mind because I thought, he doesn't remember that we met in the lobby. So I said, oh, we met in the lobby, remember? And he goes, no, when was the first time you ever met daddy? And I just was like, what? Like my oldest, my older kids didn't even have never asked me that question. And so it was really cool that he wanted to know about us because he only asked us questions for function. Like, where are we going? What? you know, what, what's, for dinner. what's for dinner. He never asked personal questions. And then the second thing he did was he was putting syrup on his gluten-free pancakes, which he's been doing for his whole life. And he looked at the bottle and he said, is this a recipe or does it come like this? And that's when I just like started bawling my eyes out. I was like, oh my God. I mean, it was 24 hours after. Yeah, he started becoming conversant right in front of our eyes. Right in front of our eyes. And so we've given him five or six, five times stem cells now. And he's just, his, his uh, speech is so much clearer. He, um, he has conversations that are normal. Um, he's engaging now. He, um, he really, really wants to talk to people. He wants to engage. He wants to be part of, you know, the conversation. He adds to the conversation. He's starting to read better. Like when he reads his text on the phone, he reads it without sounding out. He just reads it right through. And the other day it was funny. He, um, I, you know, we were talking about, we're all going to the Bahamas. Our family's all going to the Bahamas. And I asked him, um, remember we have three rules in the Bahamas. And I, you know, told him the three rules, you know, the last rule is have fun. The first two are like, don't bring the sand in, don't eat upstairs and have fun. And so he just rolled, you know, he reeled them off like, boom, boom, boom. And he goes, I want to tell everybody that. And I go, okay. And he goes, see how good my stem cells are working in my brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, they are like oh he feels God. confident now he feels confident about himself he can tell he's changed yeah he and that's what's so cool is he knows 
we can think better. So it, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. And, you know, I mean, Eric will tell you one of the things is, you know, at the Duke study, they're not sure there's 70, they're seeing a 70% chance of um, getting improvement. Yeah. improvement. And most studies, 50 to 75%. Right. And so I said, well, why don't, why don't the other people get better? Why aren't the, you know, 30% or whatever it is, you know, get better. And you said they're not sure if they, if the kids who don't get better are more severe and they don't know if they should give them more. Like the dosage, they're not, they're just not sure. Is that, no. is that what you think? Yeah, well, well, nobody knows for sure, but it's so early in the research cycle that the, every study's only been a single dose and they're trying to figure out how much you should give. And so you're starting to see, you know, 50, 60, 70% of people benefit. You know, it begs the question, you know, why doesn't everybody benefit? You know, is somehow that population different? And the one thing they have found out is that the population that, that doesn't tend to, to have as many beneficiaries uh, have intellectual disabilities. And so if, if the child has an IQ of less than 70, that seems to be some type of demarcation line. But even though 70 is a very low IQ, you know, it, it's three standard deviations below the mean, um, but that seems to be something. And so the whole question is, do they need more? Do they need multiple doses? Um, and however, the greater the intellectual disability, the harder it is to test. And, oh. and so that might be a problem as, as well. And so, yeah, it, it's just, it's very new, but very exciting. And, and even in my practice, I've seen some crazy, crazy stuff, um, not only in, in the reconstructive surgery side, but also in the, the kids, you know, on the autistic spectrum where they've come in nonverbal and, you know, within two weeks of getting the umbilical cord blood, they're starting to speak. They're starting to interact with their, with their brothers and sisters. You know, I had uh, one child who was very severe, he was uh, eight years old. You know, they've been trying to, you know, potty train him for six years. He was still in diapers. And within 48 hours of getting the umbilical cord blood, he was potty trained. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and so and the mother was ecstatic. I mean, she just said, I want to get him potty trained. And I was like, your goals need to be higher. <laughs> we're right. going to get this. We're going to get him potty right. trained and we're going to do more. Yeah. It, it, so as I tell everybody, I, you know, I can't, you know, guarantee this, you know, I, it, it's safe. It, it has very sound physiologic rationale why it should work. In fact, most people don't know there's now a, um, uh, a experimental animal model for autism. And when you give those rats, they're called BTBR mice, they're actually they're mice, not rats. When you give these mice the um, uh, human umbilical cord blood, they actually start communicating, they stop their repetitive behavior uh, and they have more social interaction. Um, but so they've been induced with autism, like how? They uh, they give the mother um, mother mouse the mother mouse something called a lipopolysaccharide. So it's a way to induce inflammation, um, and so the, they make the mothers uh, sick, almost like they're septic while they're pregnant, and then that um, inflammation and infection goes to the uh, Baby. the baby's brains, and they come out autistic. Which most people don't know. That's a very it's one of the biggest, you know, theories or something called maternal immune activation. And if, if mothers have a um, uh, viral infection or bacterial infection in the first two trimesters, their risk of having a child with autism skyrockets. Wow. And uh, especially- Any, any bacterial or viral infection? Correct. Yeah. Uh, from a urinary tract infection to pneumonia to- uh, it was first noticed in 1964 in the United States, there was a big um, rubella outbreak, uh, measles, German measles. And uh, that was the first time they noticed a huge spike in children with autism was in 19, late 1964 and 65. And then that was corroborated by other countries around the world where the, you know, the infection spread, spread to. And so that's, that's when they really started looking at it. Wow. So, what was 
Marston or what is Marston's sequence of taking the stem cells from 2018 to now? Because I'd like to go over, you know, his progress of, you know, you mentioned Andy Christie, his first, um, you know, his first signs of progress and then where he's at now, but also the sequence of when he took them. Well, I think the big thing is he got two doses up in Chicago and he was uh, tremendously improved. Were they like six months apart? I think they were. I, either six months or a year apart. I have yeah. to go back and look. I, I write everything down. So, I, you know, my, my, I don't remember in my head, but it's either a year apart or six months apart that we gave them. I was pretty sure it was six months. And then Thomas Loeb essentially showed me how to do it. You know, he said, you don't need to keep coming up here. Let me show you how to do it. And so he, he told me about the company that did it. And we ended up traveling out to the company and meeting the uh, chief scientific officer and founder and toured the lab. Yeah, because as a mother, like I wanted to like see it. I want to see that it's clean. I want to see that there's real people in this lab. I mean, make sure it's not somebody's garage. Right. I was like a crazy person. And so I'm like, we're going there. I want to see the lab. I want to talk to all the people at the lab. I want to you know, make sure it's legitimate. And so we did. And the guy, you know, he, he's amazing, amazing, amazing person. And um, tell him how you found out that you know people. You know, we kind oh, yeah. of, we actually researched him, you know. Like, right. So when we found out who the, it was a company called um, Stemel and Payment Tietti was the founder and chief scientific officer. So, you know, I'm just like anybody else. You're going to meet somebody, you Google them. And I was looking at his resume and he uh, worked for a company called Saitori uh, a few years earlier as a chief scientific officer. And Saitori was founded by two of my really good friends that I went to residency with. At University of San Francisco. Right. Uh, so I was able to call them and say, hey, what do you think? And they both said, you know, smart, ethical, hard worker, great guy. And so we went out there. But the biggest problem I think that we faced was Right after we kind of learned how to do it, the FDA put a moratorium on uh, the stem cells, on umbilical cord blood. And that's because, you know, the FDA, you know, looks at drugs uh, and nobody really looks at transplants. And this, these are living cells and it truly is a transplant. So if you need a kidney transplant or a liver transplant, the FDA doesn't get involved. That's between you, a tissue bank and a transplant coordinator. But those uh, by kind of rule, if you, you get a transplant, that organ is doing the same thing that it was doing in somebody else. If you get a heart transplant, it was beating blood, it's beating blood in you, you know, a kidney, you know, makes urine, it makes urine in you. But now people were starting to get stem cells for different things. They were getting it for leukemia, lymphoma, brain injuries, autism. And what the FDA said is, this is no longer a transplant, it's a drug. Mm -hmm. And so when any new drug comes on the market, there's something called an IND, and that stands for investigational new drug. And so in order for umbilical cord blood to be released now, it has to be within an IND. And there's no tissue bank in the country that was set up to have an, an, have an IND. Mm -hmm. And so there was uh, essentially no stem cells for a couple of years, or some people actually imported them from you know, South America, Mexico, which, you know, is not good in my opinion. Um, yeah, it was like two and a half years. Yeah, it was over two years. Yeah, so he got them and then two and a half years. Didn't. Didn't get them. And so if you think, you know, two, he got probably 2018, 2019. And then there was nothing until late, actually November of last year, mm -hmm. 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so... But STEML was bought by a company, by a pharmaceutical company, or acquired, you know, to head up their biologics division called LeoCorps, uh, which, you know, as a disclaimer, you know, I'm an independent observer of them. According to the FDA, there has to be uh, independent people outside of the company to review them periodically. And so they, they did that just on a contractual basis, which, you know, is not a big deal. But it allows me in their inner workings and understand their company. So uh, that's why I really believe them. Oh, I have so many questions. <laughs> From, <laughs> my brain is firing at rapid pace. From 2018 until 
2020 Marston. when he yeah. when Marston started getting stem cell uh, treatment again. I mean, I feel like we all operate under the pretense of everything happens for a reason and everything else on God's timing, but was any healing for lack of a better word lost in those two years? Like, is there an urgency with autistic children, adults? Is there a specific time frame where it is necessary to get stem cells before X age or X stage in well, their journey? I, I mean, I, I think, I obviously think you know, younger is better. I would have, I would have loved to have had this when he was younger. Um, but they say that it's a curve. So it goes, you get the stem cells, it goes up and it stays there. Even after- um, Function tends to plateau at six months, but right. it never comes back down. It never comes back down to the original um, not gains, uh, the original um, losses. He, yeah. he, they make gains and they stay at those gains. They don't acquire any more, but they don't go back to the original. So he he kind of plateaued and stayed there. And, you know, we still, you know, he was much better than he was before. Um, I mean, he learned how to drive. He, he really... Um, got enough, uh, you know, cognition and, and ability to live on his own. He lives at the art village, you know, all those things kind of happened. In the window. Right. So he, he, he started driving, he lives on his own, you know, they do have mentors that, um, come in and make sure they're okay, but he, you know, he's very functional. He goes to a program at our, it's called the university of North Florida. It's called the OCT program. So it's on-campus transition. It's for kids who have special needs and they take, you know, like two to three regular classes. They have um, people who mentor them and help them in the classroom. And then they go to their, um, their major, which is OCT, and they teach them functional math and, you know, other things that they Nutrition. Do. Right. One-on-one. -on -one cooking. So it's an amazing program. And he's, you know, actually graduating from that program in May. And so, you know, I, I don't think he would have ever been able to function so independent. You know, he drives, to, you know, he drives to campus. He had a job on campus. Um, he, you know, went to classes by himself. He, you know, it was very good for his brain. It opened up his brain. He, can walk into the Starbucks and order a cappuccino. So all those things I never would have thought he would, you know, be able to do. Um, you know, I do wish he was younger, but I'm not gonna, I never go back. You know, I think it's great that um, it's an opportunity for other moms who have younger kids to, you know, do stem cells because the world is open for them. Right. I mean, I, I look at it um, and the inflammation is not as bad as the brain injury, like chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So if you look at like at the football players, they get multiple concussions, you know, how could you get hit in the head once and have a concussion and then 20 years later be 30 times more likely to have dementia. And that's because the inflammation kicks off and you start losing brain cells and you start losing function. And so those need to be treated, you know, right away. I think that that obviously earlier is better because the more you can nip the inflammation and start neural restoration, um, the, the, the better, but, um, you know, we see gains and, you know, Marston, you know, is 27 now. And so, you know, I, it would have been great to do it when he was four or five. Is there a downside to stem cells? Well, I think there's a downside almost to everything in life. If you look at, uh, I would first say side effects, you know, uh, well, first of all, it's incredibly safe. You know, uh, umbilical cord blood has been given, you know, multiple millions of times throughout the world. And like I said earlier, there's 80 different diseases that this is the primary treatment. So it is safe. Uh, transient fevers in about 3%. Some people get a little bit of a rash. 
uh, we, we give the kids some Benadryl before we, we do it just to help prevent, prevent uh, a rash. Um, probably the biggest you know, potential problem is that it's not covered by insurance. It's still experimental. So it's the, it's the money you spend and, 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 it, and it's not inexpensive at all. You know, it's, it's you know, thousands of dollars. And you know, when- Explain why it's thousands of dollars. Um, for the, the technology, um, but like we said before, if a child, uh, when a child gets born, you have about 48 hours for that blood from the umbilical cord to, to make it from wherever they're born to the lab and processed. Well, the, the tests looking for hepatitis and AIDS and, and everything else in the mother take about a week and they get the medical history. And so they have to process all the blood and about nine out of every 10 people, you know, get turned down. So they're processing, you know, essentially 10 um, batches and throwing nine away. And so they put, a, you know, all the time and effort it gets put into it and they have one keeper. Uh, so that's, that's probably it. And it's, you know, state-of-the-art stuff and it is expensive. And it comes as a transplant. So it's very expensive to ship. I think it's like. Yeah, it could be up to three or four to $500. It has to be shipped overnight on dry ice in a special container. Uh, but, you know, there's two things. That one is we try to make it as affordable as possible because I'm not making a living doing this. I'm, you know, I'm a plastic surgeon and I operate three days a week and, you know, do this kind of in between times. Uh, and, and the second thing is that, um, it goes by weight. And so if you can really, you know, treat these kids early, you don't need as much and that helps decrease the price. And the, the third thing I would say, if, if you're looking at, you know, what they're doing for their children, they're paying for all sorts of therapy because there's really no treatment, you know, for autism. You have nutritional therapy, a behavioral therapy, behavioral therapy. Occupational. Yeah. Therapy. And, um, sensory, uh, you know, and pharmacologic therapy where they get, you know, psychotropics or some type of thing that calms them down, but there's nothing that really is meant to affect their brain and change it. And so if you see what you're, you're paying for that, you know, and you just, you know, put it towards the, the umbilical cord blood, you know, I, I think it's, it's the way to go, but obviously it'll take some time before it gets to be mainstream, but I do believe it will be mainstream, mm -hmm. you know, without a doubt talking a lot about um, the positive effects that stem cells have on autism, um, and that is the focus of the show, but I would like for you to share um, potentially some other patients that you've had who maybe don't have autism or, and have other um, mm -hmm. needs for stem cells. What do those patients look like? It's a great question. Well, they, they look like all of us because it, it, well, first of all, you know, once again, let's go to physiology. So everybody's born with kind of a bank of these adult stem cells. And, and there's, to name a few, there's hepatopoietic stem cells, which make blood. There's mesenchymal stem cells, which make fat, bone, skin, tendon, and cartilage. There's uh, epithelial stem cells for gut, endothelial stem cells for heart and blood vessels, uh, undifferentiated somatic stem cells. So there's stem cells for everything. Uh, you're born with a bank. By the time you're through your teenage years, 90% are gone. Okay, <laughs> so you've lost 90% of your stem cells just by them aging out. By the time you're mid-30s, it's 95%. By the time you're mid-50s, it's 98.5%. And by the time you're, you're in your 70s and 80s, it's 99.9%. And so you really lose your ability to heal uh, and fight disease and, and, and other traumatic events you know, very quickly, which is why elderly people have, have issues. So I've treated people just for anti-aging, you know, where they, I had uh, two women that were both scheduled for knee replacements, um, but they didn't want knee replacements. One was a walker, one was a bicyclist. And uh, we gave her some IV umbilical uh, cord blood and then actually injected some blood into their knee joints. And they both had, you know, tremendous benefit. Uh, in fact, both canceled their surgery and they're jogging and riding bikes now. And if you look at the orthopedic literature, uh, if you treat, uh, most people that get treated with umbilical cord blood and stem cells in their joints are under the age of 65, they, they get a tremendous benefit. Um, 
I, I had a, a, uh, an older gentleman who uh, was about 90 and he ended up uh, getting a, a spider bite to his foot and, you know, with the toxins and the poisons, it got really big, but he, he'd been, the orthopedic surgeons and the other doctors been trying to get his foot to heal for uh, over a year and they were going to cut his leg off. And then, you know, an orthopedic surgeon that I, I know said, you know, why don't you see Eric Weiss before we cut your leg off? And so he came in and I looked at it and I just, I told him, I said, I don't think you have the physiologic capability to heal your wound. You're too old. You know, you've lost all your stem cells. And I just kind of laid it out. I said, you know, you can get your leg cut off or we can try to give you this IV and see what happens. And so we gave him the IV and within three weeks, the wound was 75% closed. Uh, but more importantly, he, he had a peripheral neuropathy as well. And he hadn't been able to get dressed or really button his shirt for like 10 years. And uh, his wife said he would just one day, you know, came out with his shirt buttoned up. And they both agreed that, you know, he hadn't been able to do that, but he started to be able to dress himself. Uh, and probably after five months, he walked into the office. He'd been in a wheelchair for almost two years uh, singing and his wound is completely healed and, and just amazing. And I, I've seen that. I just gave it to a, a gentleman who's uh, in his late fifties. He fell off the roof and had a tremendous fracture of his leg and still had an open wound two years later with, uh, you know, you could see the bone, you could see tendons. And once again, I just told him, I said, I think that, you know, we have to do something out of the box here. You know, if it was easy to heal, it would be healed. And so we did that and the, the dressing's still on, he's coming back uh, on Wednesday for me to take it down. I'm gonna take a look at it. So it'll be like, be like Christmas. We'll take the bandage off, hopefully it'll be healed. <laughs> but uh, he says his leg already feels better. He said it feels different. He just knows something's happened. You know, so, uh, and I've had other people. And then uh, there's a guy in Miami, a guy named Sheffer Sang, who is a fabulous uh, ophthalmologist, surgeon, and researcher. And he's really making blind people see. He's taking people who are, are blind due to um, chemical injury to the eyes, and then taking this umbilical cord that he's impregnated with, with other healing factors, sewing it onto their eyes, sewing their eyes shut, and then, you know, three to four weeks later, opening their eyes, taking it off, and they have sight. It, it, wow. So it, it's crazy. No, it's crazy. It's, yeah. it's amazing. You know, and so if you can make somebody blind see again, you know, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. I think I told you last time that this will be the biggest discovery since, you know, antibiotics. And so I, I think it will um, hopefully, you know, make... Uh, joint replacement obsolete, you know, unless it's really, really bad. Uh, and I think that, you know, people who are healthy, people who exercise, people who, who you know, the goal in life is to live healthy and drop dead. Um, you know, we'll do this as part of an anti-aging strategy once a year or, you know, once every two years and, and help heal, you know, the, the things that, um, that ail. That's amazing. You mentioned earlier the cost of, getting stem cells. And I wanna be mindful of people who are listening, who maybe are candidates for stem cells, who maybe know mm -hmm. someone who is a candidate for stem, cell, stem cells and obviously health is wealth and being healthy is priceless, but then there's the reality of actually paying for a high mm -hmm. medical bill. So I wanna walk through, you know, if one were to go to your practice or if one were to go to a, any practice to mm -hmm. get stem cells, what would that look like? And also, are there alternative resources wherein people could get assistance um, in getting funding for stem cells? Um, well, usually I, I would talk to the patient or talk to their parents because usually I would say 98% of people are the autistic spectrum. And I lay out the rationale for it. I talk to them about brain inflammation and that there's a cell in umbilical cord blood that's been shown to turn off neuroinflammation. There's been multiple studies which shows that these, these kids uh, improve greatly. Most of them, 50 to 75%. There's always a chance it's not gonna improve. And then they're dosed out by weight. You know, usually we try to do one to 2 million you know, cells per, per kilogram. And so once we know if, if the kid- you know, For example. For example, you know, let's say he, he weighs 50 pounds. You know, it's a five-year-old that weighs 50 pounds. That's about 20 kilos, 23 kilos. 
So on the low end, that would be 30 million cells. And on the high end, that would be 60 million cells. And that varies between $4,000 and $8,000. But that's a, that's a treatment. And if it's, you know, an adult that weighs 200 pounds, then, it, you know, it can be almost twice that. Uh, but that, those kind of reflect, the, the, like I said, the, the cost to me. Um, about third-party payment, uh, I've never had, you know, an insurance doesn't pay for it unless you have one of these 80 diseases where it's the primary, primary treatment. But I've had a few mothers do, you know, um, uh, crowdsourcing, you know, and just put it out there. Uh, I had one small girl, uh, just a tragic case. She was, she was abused and had a, a brain injury, and, you know, was just in a crib with a feeding tube, 24 seven care, live in nurse, uh, adopted by a family. Uh, and she put it out to her. She was going back to her uh, 25th high school reunion. And they found out that she adopted the kid and they put up the, the money. Um, and then we gave the child stem cells. And uh, it's, it's got a poor outcome, but uh, the child did unbelievable, got off the feeding tube, started eating, was able to handle own secretion, started swallowing, doing better, but uh, unfortunately got COVID and, and passed away from COVID uh, about two years ago. But well, maybe but, great if we got a grant. I mean, some right. kind of donation, you know, grant that we could just, you know, put towards autistic kids. You know, some type are, of endowment. Right. You know, where, you know, and I think that we're so new to this. We know this is what we want to do. And, and that would be something we'd have to set up to, um, you know. Right. Because companies fund stuff all the time. You know, um, then you'd have to have some board to pick out you know, who was the best and have some type of, um, of protocol uh, so that the, the financial protocol. Right, yeah, that, yeah. that the fees get used in the best possible ways. But yeah, that's something we're considering. And, and as I, I really believe I'm going to, you know, phase into this as I slow down my operations, um, you know, we'll do that. You also mentioned um, on our last chat together about um, schools and research institutions who might have other programs as well that Correct. might be that might be of use as well so can you speak to that a little bit yeah it's a great question yeah i think that is a great question and, and i think that this all exploded you know very very recently january of 2019 um and that was kind of when there was the moratorium so now that the moratorium just got out in you know, off uh in november uh, that I believe there's a tremendous amount of research being done. Um, you can go on the internet and, and look for, you know, research on umbilical cord blood for, for autism. There's a big program at Duke. That's where I went. And that's kind of where everything got, you know, got developed. Uh, I'm going to be up there for my reunion. And my goal is to try to meet with those people to see what, what they're doing now. But I think anybody who lives in a town with a medical school should, should search that and actually call the department. Right, and usually it's free. Oh, it is free. Right. So if you, but, but their protocols are like six and under or eight, eight and under, and you have to have banked your um, own blood, your own cord blood. Well, some are doing or sibling or sibling. And some are doing store or Some are doing store bought. Well, Duke yeah. is not. Duke is doing sibling or um, yeah. your own. So there, those are the protocols at Duke, but you know, I'm sure there are other universities you just have to go on their website and, you know, you have to send them your medical records and send all your stuff and then you get chosen and, you know, they, which is nice. They, you know, they do all the um, brain tests, they do the MRI. So you see all the, you know, you get everything. Right. Amazing. Well, somehow it's been almost an hour and I feel what? like we should do an entire series <laughs> together because that was silly how fast that went by. Um, and for those listening um, who have not yet read the book, it's called Educating Marston and also Auntie Chrissy and Uncle Eric's website is called educatingmarston.com. Really quickly, aside from that website and you know, being able to purchase your book on through every major bookstore online, um, how can we find you? What if uh, there are folks listening who are either 
qualifiers for stem cells or know someone and they want to get treatment by you, uncle? Uh, the, probably the two ways is uh, ericweissmd.com, which is my website for, for uh, my plastic surgery uh, office. But I, I do the stem cells there. There's links to NorthFloridaStemCells.com. Uh, and so either one of those two, NorthFloridaStemCells.com or EricWeissMD.com will put you in touch. And then usually we just arrange a time where I can give you a call and we, we chat about what's possible, what's not possible, and then go from there. Amazing. Is there anything that we haven't covered? And this is to both of you. Anything that we haven't covered that you feel called to share before we close out your, your encore episode? I can't think of anything, well, I think. I think the link on Educating Marston by Dr. Weathersby oh, that's is, huge. Really, is very, very important. There's a link. Um, she's a doctor at Florida State, and she did the first analysis of, the, um, of diagnosing autism. Early the earliest, earliest diagnosis of autism. She's very famous, and you can actually download upload. or upload a um, video of your child to this website, and they have professionals who will, you know, look over your child, give you, you know, a diagnosis and a treatment plan. and a treatment plan, and it's free. So, you know, that's just a a really nice tool for people who are in smaller communities who can't. Um, have access to the specialties. Yeah. Right. No, that, that she's, a, she's an amazing woman. And doctor. thank you. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank this is so fun as always. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks to celebrate Marston's graduation from college. Yes. Yes. Holy Exciting. moly. And right. um, for those listening, please support my aunt and uncle, but also get their book, Educating Marston, M-A-R-S-T-O-N, because it is life-changing and emotional. And the first half of it is Auntie Chrissy's journey as a mother of raising Marston. And the second half is Uncle Eric's uh, research on stem cells um, to date when the book was published um, on treatment. So I love you both. Thank you so, so much. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Of Bye. course. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to such a special episode of Marin Costello Radio. A massive thank you to Auntie Chrissy and Uncle Eric for coming onto the show. And another huge thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, which I know we all did, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, find me at MarinCostello.com and Marin Costello Radio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week for another episode of Marin Costello Radio.